See, I, my, I myself, I'm not impressed with all the body piercings. You know, I got my navel piercing. I'm not impressed because my wife, she has her pierced. And uh, <laughs> at first I thought it was cool. Then I found out the ring that she has. It was her wedding ring from her first marriage. <laughs> so when we got married, I refused to buy her a ring. You know, and she said, you're a cheap bastard. I said, I'm not a cheap bastard. I just see how you treated the last ring somebody gave you. And if things don't work out, I don't want anybody polishing my gold. So we compromised. I got her a really cheap one. They'll turn your pecker green if it goes anywhere near it. So... Thanks for tuning into the Doing It Podcast. I'm Will Conlon. Thanks so much for being here. This is the first time checking it out. It's a podcast where I get to talk to artists and creative types, people who've dedicated their lives to the artistic process, the creative juices that flow through their body. They've given into that. They've given into the spell and have uh, devoted everything they have to it. So I get to talk to these kinds of people. And if this is the first time checking it out, then you should also know that this is the second part of my interview or my podcast conversation with the fabulous Kenny Robinson, who is a brilliant comedian who's been at it for almost 40 years. The last episode was the first part of that conversation, and you heard him at the top of the show doing some stand-up, and uh, we're going to get to the second half of that amazing conversation in just a second. I am now 41 years old. Had my birthday a couple of days ago. It was great. It was very relaxing, which is kind of what I wanted because it's been a busy week. I've signed on with a new agent about two weeks ago, and so far they are proving their worth. I have been auditioning a lot, uh, which is great. It's very nice to be in the room again. And so that's kept me hopping back and forth to Toronto. I'm going to be moving to Toronto shortly, which I'm very much looking forward to because I, uh, I, I never minded the drive. The hour drive to get into Toronto until now. And I think it's because I know I'm going to be moving there in a few weeks. So now the drive is driving me nuts. So I'm looking forward to being there. But my birthday was good. I had uh, lunch with my mom, who thought I was 42. So that's kind of nice. You know, it's nice when your mom doesn't know how old you are. (laughs) She's, uh, you know, well, she's getting up there herself. So, you know. Um, She gave me a Ouija board. For my birthday as kind of a joke gift because she knows i've that's one thing that has freaked me out you know my whole life i i not a lot of things freak me out but the ouija board like that's the gateway to hell why would you give someone that she gave me the gateway to hell and then she says to me we could talk to nan (laughs) my nan that died a few weeks ago so a lot of people wonder where i get my sick sense of humor my mother So I've got this Ouija board sitting in my apartment, and my roommate took off for the weekend with his girlfriend. So I've been alone all weekend with this Ouija board in my apartment. So I'm sleeping with the lights on, and uh, I'm I'm really, uh, I'm not even taking it out of the box. No fucking way. Life's good. Career's good. Things are good right now. I'm not tempting fate. I'm not going to start. I don't need to talk to evil. Let's talk to evil. So... (laughs) Like, and then my phone died, and I said to her, well, that's great. I can use the Ouija board to check my uh, messages. 
as a joke. I would never fucking do that. And, uh, and, and then I realized, Jesus, if that's the kind of jokes I'm telling now, the Ouija board is a curse. But anyway, but it was a good birthday. Uh, my buddy Cam came over and he gave me a Batman, uh, I guess a bathrobe. It's one of those nice sort of fleece sort of robes, but it's actually got, it's got the hood. So you put it over and it's got the eye holes and it's actually really comfortable. It, it looks like some kind of uh, a novelty item that you, you would look at it and go, I'm never putting that on, but it's comfortable and I've been wearing it and I do feel like Batman. I feel like a fat Batman in that thing and it's wonderful. So yeah, it was a, it was a really good birthday and then I went out last night and saw some comedy. Saw Mark Walker and Shannon Laverty and Peter Anthony do, do a set at the old Yuck Yucks and it was a great time. We all went out, uh, a couple more comics too. It was, it was great. It was a solid show. So it was good, a nice relaxing weekend. It's going to be a busy week coming up, I'm sure. But I want to get back to Kenny Robinson. This is, uh, as I said, this is the second half of our conversation. And, you know, I was when I was listening to the second half, editing it down, you know, he, he's got so many great stories. He's got such an interesting life and an interesting perspective on his, his career and, and where it's gone and what he's done. And a lot about his, the things that he hasn't accomplished and a lot of the, uh, the things that maybe he considers his personal failures. And it's interesting because I, I find that too, as an artist, that we tend to look back on our careers and we, we just seem to focus on, you know, uh, this didn't work out, this didn't happen, we didn't get this. And it's funny because when I'm, I'm, I'm talking to, to Kenny, and I said this in the last episode, and I'm kind of, I'm just in awe of him, and I'm thinking, man, there is nothing about you that's a failure. But that means nothing. That means nothing to Kenny. It means nothing to anyone you say that to because it's all about how you see yourself, right? And I really hope Kenny doesn't see himself that way. I don't, I don't think he does. I think he, I, well, I don't know. I don't want to speak, I don't want to speak for him and how he sees himself. Like, listen to the conversation and you can uh, hear for yourself. But he, he, here's a man that, that has done so many uh, amazing things, not just for himself, but for uh, other comedians, other comics, other actors, artists, things like that. Even even people he maybe didn't even directly do things for. He's He's been an inspiration to a lot of people. And I'm sure that he knows that. I hope that he knows that. But uh, I'm one of them for sure. And so when I'm listening to this again, like in the last episode, I'm just kind of in awe of the man. And many times I'm just sitting there, I'm like listening, like shaking my head. I was just kind of spellbound by his stories and by his life and by, he's got that kind of energy too, where you just like listening to him talk, no matter what he's saying. He's just very engaging. I really recommend going out to see him uh, perform because he's, he's definitely uh, someone uh, to be reckoned with. He's a really, really brilliant performer with um, many interesting points of view. So check him out. Anyway, but let's get back to the second half of my conversation with the fabulous Kenny Robinson. Here we go. Let's talk about that. So wait, so what, uh, roughly, I know we were saying earlier about you're not sure of years, but. I don't like this interview now because I feel like it may be like my last one ever. No. It's like the end of my life. Don't say that. There's like, you know. Don't say that. It's like the end of my life is like, you know, just outside that door as I get back on the gardener or something, you know. Oh, God, no. It's like his last most revealing interview ever. (laughs) (laughs) Are you enjoying it? Is it okay for you? Yeah, I'm having a ball. Okay, good, good, good. Good. Um. So you came back from San Francisco. You kind of re-injected yourself back into to Canada and doing your thing. What year was that roughly? 
would you say? Was that 82? So it's still early 80s and things like that. So, no, no, the 90s, 90s. Was it the 90s? Because you started the Nubian show in 95, right? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, so I was back here about 90, 91. Okay. So when you came back, were you having trouble getting gigs or were you, you know? I was getting some gigs, yeah. but sometimes not. But I was more and more political. Then I got my comics. Yeah. Yeah, your comics, which was uh You know, I, I, one of the things when the Comedy Network first got their license, when the TV channel says, when the uh, TV, like the Star TV guys said, um, very few of the stand-up specials uh, um, still seem um, relative. Uh, Kenny Robinson's and so-and-so, so-and-so's are, uh, are uh, three that stand the test of time. Yes. You know, so, you know, I felt good about that. Yeah. Except for one, damn, how come Just for Laughs never know that my shit stand the test of time? I can't get just for laughs again. Motherfuckers. Or he's doing all that great O.J. Simpson trial material. Oh, man. Oh, man. I had a half hour on O.J. Oh, man. You know? And oh, I, I, I could, wish I was around you. I couldn't get on stage. Stuff. I couldn't God. get on stage enough. You know, they were searching the outskirts of uh, Chicago by O'Hare Airport for O.J.'s knife. They didn't find O.J.'s knife, but they did find, uh, they did find uh, a box of 4,000 volts for Richard Nixon and Jimmy Hoffa's ring finger. <laughs> um... When they asked Furman if he ever used the word nigger, he said no. And then he played the tape, and it was like, nigger, nigger, bo nigger, banana, man, four figure, fee, five, four figure, nigger. Let's try, let's try coon, 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 bo spoon, banana, man, four I had not heard the word nigger used that many times since I crashed a wedding in, fill in the local redneck town, since I crashed a wedding in Red Deer, since I crashed a wedding in Guelph, since I crashed a wedding in Boomp. Um... Oh, man. You know, there's certain things like that, because I, I remember watching the O.J. Simpson trial. Uh, 94, right? And, and there's certain things I do. I do that with uh, uh, when I first started uh, really coming out to the clubs. Not watching comedy on TV. I always did that. Yeah. But when I first started I coming to the clubs. Did, yeah. You know? And there's certain situations, things that have happened in, in my life, like the O.J. Simpson trial. I'm like, God damn it. I wish I was in the clubs at the time that this was going on, because the... You know, like television's one thing. You know, there's only some, well, fuck, like Norm MacDonald's yeah. getting in trouble on Weekend Update for telling O.J. Simpson jokes. Yeah. But to... Nobody uh, could touch me what I was doing. I, I, that's what my point. It's like, I, I couldn't could, and you imagine. Know, and, and just for laughs, didn't care. So you did JFL uh, 89. once. Yeah. 89. I did, it, I did one gala. I did one nasty show. The headlines from the uh, Montreal uh, Gazette said, uh, Kenny Robinson was the man that owned the nasty show. Yeah. And could never get it back again. Um, how does it, okay? I've never gone out for JFL or anything like that. How does that? How does it work? You 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 send. The, I was lucky enough to have Andy Nolman see me in Montreal at Ernie Butler's club. Okay. Back in the day, now they got showcases, and if you're not in with a certain club, you don't get showcased or whatever, whatever. So I just think that uh, you know they look at me as someone whose day has come and gone, and we don't care. And then when they had wanted me to audition, said, well, Kenny, we'd like you to showcase. It's not at a time when I was creatively in the zone. And any time I've been in the zone, they didn't give a fuck. So, uh, and with that being, you know, and each time always thinking that JFL was going to be the thing that gave me that second shot at getting, at getting to that next level. Yeah. Um, so the last time I did JFL, um, they booked me to... Uh, host Best of the Fest, which basically was at the, the Comedy Works. And it was every, I was hosting the whole week of everybody else getting ready for their gala. Okay. 
Talk about being a bridesmaid. <laughs> I'm hungry. Can you bring these pizzas up to everybody else? Yeah, but I'm really hungry. Great. Can you bring these soft drinks up to... Man, I'm thirsty after carrying all these pizzas and soft drinks. Yeah, could you carry these pies up to everybody else? You know? Yeah. So it was great. I got to meet Bill Burr on a one-to-one -one level, talk hockey, talk baseball. I mean, you know, all this stuff. Um... You know, but I also got to do uh, two shows on the Uptown show. And I remember just when I found out I was only getting the Uptown shows and getting the, and hosting the uh, the best of the fest shows mm -hmm. and not a gala. Oh, I was so distraught. I, oh, I, I, I cried l out loud. So anyway, I do the uh, I do the uh, Uptown show. Uh -huh. And I go back to Toronto. You know, I was trying to get the cards of the guys that booked in England. Of course, you want to go to England. You want to go here. You want to go there. It didn't. Nobody seemed to give a fuck. So about two, three weeks later, I get a phone call. Somebody seen me at the Uptown show and wants to know if I'd like to go to London, England to film a TV show called Paramount World Stand-Ups. Wow. I said, absolutely. And they wound up hooking me up two weeks at the comedy store, one in London, one in Manchester. So this is why I told some of the some of the guys getting their first shot at the fest. I said, you never know who might see you. Don't go there with an idea of what you have to score. I said, but just be aware you can always score. So to some extent, what I got from the show, you know, from the Uptown show. I got what I would have been thrilled to have gotten from doing a gala. And you got it from the, yeah. Now, if I had done a gala, well, who knows all the good shit could have happened to me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Grass is greener, right? Well, it's like, man, the more people have seen my brilliance. <laughs> <laughs> but thank God someone did. So, I mean, you know, one of the things that, you know, it's not on my, you know, the, when I make a little flyer, you know, as seen on uh, Paramount UK TV, you know. So, I mean, I got to go to England and do a TV show. Wow. When was that? That was... Uh... About maybe five years ago. And the bit that got that was the street proofing, protecting your children. Yeah. You know, teach them out, you know. The, they the, told you that? They said that was the bit? That, that was the bit because they, the, the one woman that was a producer says, all these comics doing these shock pedophilic rape jokes and here's a man saying he's going to protect his child there you go you know and um that's the, like we were talking earlier you know the comics that come up they don't even think about the context of the the joke they're trying to tell they just think of the reaction right you know and i you know and i said uh you know like the, the joke that really bangs out there is uh, i'm so worried about my kids being abducted by strangers i only let them hang out with better looking children <laughs> better yours than mine so you know that's and the thing is that the, I wouldn't have got that joke if it wasn't for CNN. There was a little girl abducted out in California. Mm -hmm. And she was playing with a little Chinese girl. And they took the blonde and left the Chinese one behind. Racist bastards. So, <laughs> so that's where I first got the idea of, well, shit, man, that's a deal. Didn't know. I, better, my, better my daughter not be the prettiest one on the playground that day. If someone's staring, let that... Let the, no, you ain't. No, you ain't gonna be the fucking one to be picked. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's me with CNN and a tragedy like a vulture. That's how that bit came to be. Yeah, but you know what, man? Again, like you gotta look at this shit and you gotta find a way to 
It's dealing with it, man. And that's what you're, you're doing. You're helping us all deal with it, right? That's what it is. We're talking mm. about dealing with the madness. It's, it's, it's insane. And we, we, I always look at it. We got a choice. We can either curl up and, 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 and cry ourselves to sleep and, or just get so fucking angry that we're just throwing chairs at the window and shit like that. Or we can find a way to level it off. And that's what humor does. Yeah. It takes the edge off. You know, and that's why I get so pissed off. But when, when I, I hear- did that bit on my last cruise ship, the guy that booked all the talent for uh, Carnival, he was in the audience, and I just died. And uh, so they they fired me from Carnival after I was able to fool them for eleven months. One more month, I would have been able to take the family on a trip. So <laughs> maybe that was it. They knew that was coming. No, just you know, <laughs> no free ride. No, there's people been on there for. Uh, oh, I would have to pay, but you know, a, a discounted rate. Yeah. But you know, but I fooled them for eleven months. Because after my first show, I had complaints when some uh, some twenty year old named Amber uh, got to write the reviews and send me in, and they said that my R rated show was too R rated for the uh, R rated my R rated material too R rated for the R rated show. And the joke I did was uh, about having uh, seen the uh, the pregnant mommy Barbie doll. Yeah, and I take the and they have a black one because it's politically correct and good marketing. So what I did was I took the black baby out of the black mommy's tummy and put it in the white mommy's tummy while still at Toys R Us, just in case, uh, hoping that some redneck dad picks up the wrong doll for little Shania for Christmas. So there we are on some trailer park in the outskirts of Oshawa or a fill-in local redneck town, and she'll look, Daddy, Mommy, Santa Claus brought me the pregnant mommy Barbie. Oh, look, the baby, because it had like a belly, like a kinder egg. You open up the yeah. belly. Oh, look, mama, the baby's black. <laughs> said, I'm going to name him Obama. <laughs> well, they said that was not appropriate for the oh, early show. God. And as my wife, uh, my oh. wife explained to me, it was probably the issue of race mixing that probably offended your complaints. So I was worried that I was going to get fired. And then I didn't even think I should even deserve to go on a stage anymore. And I, I'm no fucking good. And oh, I can't even geez. go and earn a living for my family. And you blew it. And the agent sends you the letters. Oh. And you're worried you're not going to get to go on the cruises again. And you fucked up your first time out. You piece of shit. You fucking piece of shit. You fucked up again. So then somebody had a club out at Finch and something. And it was their one year anniversary and asked me to do it. And, you know, a lot of the guys are doing rape jokes, you know, and I think they just had slut walk and what have you. So I'm sitting in the back and waiting to go on and waiting to go on. And I go up there and I go, um, you know, I don't like rape jokes, but uh, why are there so many rapes at York? Is that what they teach here? Is York University like the, 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 the go-to school for rapists? And then, you know, it's just, and, and, and the women say it, isn't, it doesn't matter what you wear, a rape is going to, let me tell you something. Never once I've ever seen a woman in a burqa and thought, I got to get that. <laughs> I said, I said uh, leggings and, and, le- leggings and, uh, and, and Crocs and burqa. Very safe. Not, not even thoughts of a hello, good morning. <laughs> So I dropped that. I'm going, okay, and the audience is losing it because they've had really bad rape jokes. So I thought mine was kind of like an anti-rape joke. Mm-hmm. So then I tell them, the, so then I start to tell them the bit of how now I may not be going on the cruise ships. And I go, but it wasn't like I was a real evil bastard. It wasn't like I took a lighter and I melted the baby Barbie's head and made it all fucking wrong so it was like a formaldehyde baby. I didn't fucking bite the <laughs> arm off so I had a little short fucking stubby arm with a little tiny fingers. I didn't make it a fucking physical deformed baby. And of course, that's taking it even further. I'm going, 
do you need to add this to it? I go, no, you almost in trouble just for what you had in it. <laughs> and, uh, and I walked off that stage going, man, sometimes you need, you know, you need an audience to remind you that you're good. Yeah. But I remember on that ship though, you know, after you're doing a couple of shows, like there was a couple of nights where you want to throw yourself to the sharks and I'm thinking, even the sharks wouldn't fucking take a bite out of me after the set I just had. <laughs> and, all you, and you just try to avoid eye contact with all the passengers. 4,000 passengers. Try to make eye contact with everybody when you get to a port. Yeah. And all you can do is stay in your room, in your little fucking underneath the... I heard when they lowered anchor, it was like outside my fucking room. So I heard that chains. I heard each link being pulled up. Jesus Christ. That's gonna... That's going to weigh. Well, well, it did weigh. It was an anchor. Yeah. <laughs> but, but instead, I just laid there in a the fetal position, saying, well, let's go eat with the Filipinos in a little bit. <laughs> you know, because I, I ate with the crew mostly, eh? Did you? Yeah. Because I, I, it's crew food. But if you go upstairs with the passengers, there's a lineup for food, so you're supposed to step out of line until every pay in person ate already, right? Yeah. You know, or if there wasn't a chair, you couldn't have it. You know, or if they if they want to talk to you while you're eating, you got to, hi, where are you from? I'm from here. I'm glad to meet you. Yeah, yeah, You yeah. know, so um, instead, so instead, I said, I'm going to eat with the people that don't speak no languages similar to me. <laughs> Peace and quiet. There's, no, they're talking. Yeah. You know, but you, you got your Asians over there. You got your, your West Indians would play, uh, would all play uh, backgammon or, or, or uh, dominoes in mm -hmm. the in the crew bar. The Italians were the were the peacocks. They all had all the white uniforms because they were all the first mates and the captains and the ships of the thing. So they had you know they had their own thing. Mm -hmm. The Russians always argued about who was supposed to clean out the fridge. <laughs> Filipinos. Some of the Filipinos were great though, on, at least in the bar, because like they'd get a one of them had a guitar uh -huh. and they'd all start like sitting around. None of them spoke English, but they all sang like Bob Dylan songs and shit. Oh wow! So while I'm sitting there all by myself. You know, having a cigarette because they were like, you know, 80 cents a pack or something really cheap on the ship because no taxes. So I'm sitting there going, man, I, said, I don't mind this Filipino version of knocking on heaven's door. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Every song you just, you know, every song you just feel all shitty when you feel like the world's against you and you're all by yourself and you're in the middle of the ocean. Yeah. And that's the thing about being in the ocean, man. You know, they could drop an atomic bomb in New York City and you wouldn't know about it, nor would you give a fuck. Yeah. Unless you happen to know somebody who was in New York City that particular moment. Yeah. Because you look up there and you go, this is all water. Nothing else matters. You go, couldn't even believe there are animals the size of my fucking van that could eat me in this water. Because it's all <laughs> still above it, eh? Yeah. It's Peaceful. all. Yeah. And you have, you're going, and you have no idea. That's a whole entire world there. Yeah. And there you are with the crew eating because you don't want to look at that. <laughs> I don't want to go make eye contact with the people that hated me. Yeah. Hoping they get to come back and make that money again. But it was uh, eleven months you did that. Well, yeah, I outlasted. Uh, I outlasted some other Canadian uh, comics that were way cleaner that were booked that uh, had one. Tr they had one and done. So is it sort of like at that that eleven month when they said no more? It was your attitude was kind of like, okay, wait a minute, I've been doing the same thing basically, not the same act, but the same. Well, you got to do two shows, sometimes three shows a night. Yeah, you know. But when I always felt from my first show, I was walking on eggshells. Uh huh. So when it came down, it was okay. Mm -hmm. I mean, I missed the travel. I missed the money. Uh, I missed the fact that I couldn't cut it. Like, you know, like uh, some guys have been on there three, four, five years. Yeah. 
And it's when do they do a show on land? And they're always, you know, and they've built up a nice, nice nest egg, and, and it's all right. Yeah. You know, but also when I was there, I'm going, you're missing auditions. You're missing your children. You're missing, you know, you're missing your wife. You're missing, yeah. you know, and, and it's like, do you want to be, you want me doing these shows all the time? Because, you know, it didn't take me long to realize that I was basically, uh, what would work for me was if I did fart jokes more. Because mm -hmm. you're basically telling fart jokes for uh, McCain voters. As, <laughs> so you see how I just draw that line yeah. between thems and me real quick anyway. <laughs> so maybe I just didn't have any business being on that no, boat. No. <laughs> maybe it was for the best then. <laughs> maybe I should. That's why when it was done, I said, well, you fooled him for 11 months, dude. I got 11 months of your money. <laughs> I, we, got, we, we beat him with that pregnant Barbie. <laughs> We got past that pregnant Barbie and kept... Yeah. We've been dog paddling since our first show, buddy. <laughs> like a dog in the ocean. We, we've been... Trying we, to get on board. And look at all the souvenirs you brought the kids from yeah. everywhere. <laughs> yeah, brought them little stuffed baby alligators from, from Florida. Yeah, brought them shark's jaws from Barbados. No, from the Bahamas. <laughs> you bought your mom dresses from everywhere or knockoff purses. You know, you... You bring rum from here. You, yeah, you done good, all right. Yeah. Did you want to be in the navy? No. Yeah. <laughs> it's for the best. So this is still in the nineties that you're doing this. No, right? this is like this, this is three recently. years ago. This is recently. Oh I yeah. Thought, so yeah. Oh yeah. The fuckery continues. Yeah. <laughs> like I had three weeks in Johannesburg. They won't bring me back. But it's you know it's sad. I like I like South Africa. By the end of. By the time I left, uh, almost every black comic was coming to see me in, in the country, well, in Johannesburg, and I was giving them all CDs. And, yeah. And, you know, and I learned that I can't do my squirty material there. No. And, uh, <laughs> oh. I said, but they just got the concept of one man, one vote 10 years ago, dude. So, you know, yeah. never mind this premature ejaculation <laughs> shit. But, you know, a lot of the black comics uh, were like, I've not heard this kind of freedom before. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Freedom not to come back again. <laughs> but I think my second to last show, and I was writing all kinds of South African material. I was doing about 20 minutes of their local political shit by the time I left. Yeah. Which Jeez. was cool. But I remember um, one beef I had. Sometimes shit happens and it lets you know that you're okay. It's other people that are fucked. Oh, yeah. So I do this one show, and this guy comes up to me. Did you really mean it when you said you were married and you have kids? Or were you just making a joke? I go, no, I'm married and I got kids. What kind of, you know, who makes that to be a joke? And he goes, uh, I just want to let you know that uh, my wife was offended and I was offended. You, if I said, well, I'm sorry if you're offended. That's not my intention. And he's still trying to push it. And goes, you, uh, you, uh, you offended. Uh, us and you offended marriage. I said, what do you mean I offended marriage? I said, what do you mean? What kind of marriage? Like marriage still together for the sake of the kids? Uh, uh, marriage, uh, I got knocked Sanky. up and we're still together. I, what, the, I offended the, 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 the concept of marriage. I offended uh, uh, marriages of convenience. I offended arranged marriages. What do you mean I offended marriage? I said, bring your wife over. I'll apologize. I go, well, sorry if you were offended by anything I said. And she got nuts. Okay, fine. Then he walks away. But it looked like I might have to fucking kill this guy, right? 
So his older brothers were buying me drinks. And one of them says, well, don't mind him. You, uh, he didn't like you from the start. And my opening line was uh, the fertilizer. Um, gay men tend to have bigger uh, penises than straight men. Uh-huh. Makes sense. You go around plant something fertilizer, uh, something plant something fertilizer. Eventually, it's gonna grow. <laughs> yeah. So he hated me from that line, because the guy says my brother before he married this woman used to be a uh, notorious homosexual. Oh. So when he said notorious, it's like ha ha, the yeah. homosexual is struck again. <laughs> Not just said, homosexual, notorious. He was notorious. Yeah. He was known for. He his was like the Biggie Small of, notor- of of homosexuals. <laughs> you know, this man just what he would just walk up and put his anus over a straight men's penises <laughs> on a bus. This this fag was notorious, brother. <laughs> so I got his brothers telling me he used to be a notorious homosexual. <laughs> I guess it was better than a vicious homosexual, but a notorious homosexual. Yeah. So even their way of explaining it to me, notorious. Everybody knew about him. So I go, oh, so this guy's mad because I talked about a gay penis being bigger. And him and her get mad because this everybody, she looks at him like, is that how your penis got bigger? Yeah. <laughs> From putting in men's anuses? Or why'd you have to bring up gay sex off the top? I almost got her to forget that was my past. <laughs> and I go, the issue ain't you, Kenny. It's damn. He's the yes. one that's notorious. I, you know, you a notorious comic. So what's <laughs> you did what you you did what your notorious ass always done. But it's amazing how somebody else's baggage make you feel like you're the piece of shit. It's constant. It's every fucking day. It's, you know, that's why they're being with my hurt feelings. You know, that's why I put up on Facebook the picture of Tony uh, Soprano. I wipe my ass with your feelings. I saw that. That was great. Because sometimes you can't always worry. Or, you know, or in South Africa, these two women, first they started on me, and then they went after the club owner because he said the word fuck a couple of times when he was MC. And uh, she, this woman says, I know Americans and I know Canadians, and you have no future in this country if you don't change your act. These two white South Africans are telling me this, right? So I, I said, well, from what I read, you're the two with no future in this act, in this country. <laughs> Mandela! <laughs> you the two with no futures. <laughs> I know Canadians and Americans and Brits, and none of them are like you. Oh, for fuck's well, sake. Well, I guess, I guess that says something about the quality people you meet. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but the whole time, damn, I guess I won't be coming back to Johannesburg again. <laughs> Do you ever get that? Like where, when you're on stage, you're doing your act, and the voice is like, oh, we're fucked. Oh, just keep going, but we're done. Like, yeah. yeah. A gig in Montreal left me feeling that way lately, and uh, I was doing the political stuff, and it went nowhere. The act before the intermission got a standing ovation. Mm-hmm. He did his act in French and uh, Italian, and they all loved it. Mm-hmm. And then when I went dirty, the room went crazy. Dirtier I got, the more they liked me. Mm-hmm. And I said, "Well, I gotta go now." And they go, "No, no." I go, "Too fucking late. It's not my fault that you people took twenty-five minutes to decide you didn't hate me. Go fuck yourselves." Yeah, so, you know. But the, when I was up there, you know, I mean, you're aware of it. You're dying. You're dying. You're dying. You gotta switch something. You gotta switch something. Well, it's not even necessarily dying. Like you might actually even be doing well, but you could just tell by like, oh boy, like where you know I'm going. you ain't killing. Yeah. Yeah. And for me, it's either kill or die. 
that's kind of comic always been. I've never been a comic happy with that, you know, that the six out of ten yeah. set. Yeah. Those are the guys I always uh, had uh, repulsion for in the business. Mm-hmm. Oh, that set was okay. Motherfucker, it ain't about okay. Yeah. It's about ripping it. It's about, you know, boom, boom. Did you give him the money? Did you rock the joint, man? Yeah. I remember uh, I, I got to talk to Darren Frost, I think, about two months ago, and we talked about that in his interview. And he was, because I remember being an amateur, and he'd come to the Hamilton Amateur Nights and just rock it. Just rock it. And his 10 minute spot destroy. Yeah. What's the point of driving all that way if you ain't going to rock it? He, he completely destroyed. And he'd come off, off stage and come around, come along the back. And just swearing and we're all like, And he's like, fucking piece of shit, fucking. And he wasn't happy with it because no. he was like, at the time, I wasn't doing what I wanted. I, I was doing what I needed to to kill, but I hated myself because I hated what I had to do to kill. Yeah. What I wanted to do wouldn't kill. Yeah. And he was frustrated with that. And I see that a lot with comics, too. And I, and I, I was saying, like, I, I admire him for that. Same as I admire you, the same thing. Like I, the six out of ten is not good enough. No, and and even sometimes killing, but not doing who you are or being who you are and doing what you want. That's just as bad. Oh, I used to get resentful of the crowd for wanting dirty stuff when I wanted to give them political. Yeah. When and before that, I was resentful of the audience for not liking dirty stuff when all they wanted was something civilized and human. Yeah. <laughs> not this fucking. Ape so, shit I threw against the wall comic comedy when you do that when you have the same kind of thing like you just said do you come off the stage the same thing completely unsatisfied even if you killed but it wasn't with what you wanted to do that night or yes but you know? I, I, I'm not I'm not foaming at the mouth like Darren yeah <laughs> you know yeah you know I'm, I always feel like I need a tranquilizer gun with him sometimes <laughs> But I mean, I, I I haven't had a real good meltdown on stage with the audience in a while. You have before, though? Oh, sometimes you get real good ones. Yeah? Oh, when you just fucking spew hatred at the end. I guess it's maybe been 15 years since I've had a good meltdown. I've had a couple of go fuck you, you knows, but not like a total just telling the audience how stupid and ignorant and how much I fucking hated them they were. Really? I haven't had that in a while. You did the, where was the last place you did that? Do you remember? The last good one was probably the Nubian show. Yeah? That cost me money. And that that was uh that's in Toronto. That's yeah. Toronto. Yuck, yuck, yeah, yeah. Um I just come back from Atlanta at uh Laughapalooza. It's a black comedy festival. Jamie Foxx was like the money or the face behind it and Monique was there and uh just a lot of guys were there. Uh, Corey Holcomb all kinds of you know great comics, me Russell Peters, Gavin Stevens. So I did one show in uh, I did one show in Chris Tucker's room and it was terrible. There's nobody there because Chris Tucker had recently become born again Christian, so he didn't sell liquor at his club. So there weren't a whole lot of people going to Chris Tucker's club for comedy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but anyways, I come back and um, I forget who I had host the Nubian show for me on the Sunday, but I get back and. The audience is out of control. They booed off a couple of people while I'm there. Yep. So Daryl Lennox is the headliner. Oh, I had uh, Mike Epps did a guest spot that night. Mm-hmm. And I'm going, how did Epps get to the club before I did? Because I just saw that motherfucker in Atlanta. <laughs> he had to get back because he was shooting a movie in Toronto. Yeah. Oh. So I see Mike Epps in, Mon- in, in, in Atlanta. And then I come back and I see him on the Nubian show. And I'm going, this guy's great, <laughs> you know. So and it was and there were some thugs in the audience and they were rowdier and what have you, and uh, I remember like Epps on stage. He goes, "Yeah, 
They got some hard niggas here in Canada. They got some gangster motherfuckers in Canada. So these thugs in the back of the room, boop, 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 boop. He goes, no, not you pussy ass bitches. I'm talking about some real niggas I met last night. <laughs> so I'm going like, ah. And of course they all die because, you know, he just totally dissed them. So we bring up Daryl Lennox. Daryl Lennox is widely respected. He's a good comic. He's a great comic. So Daryl goes, you know, I don't see no racism in Canada. You know, I don't see people just be. And the audience did not want to hear that. And they started booing him. Wow. Booed him off. Holy shit, like booed him right off. Holy shit. More or less, yeah. So I come on stage and I tell him, I have a couple of drinks. I said, I am so embarrassed, so disgusted, so ashamed by this audience. I said, I just finished spending a weekend down Atlanta with the dumbest, most ignorant motherfuckers apparent, uh, uh, any audience could, could ever be. And I come home and my very own audience is acting like this. I'll tell you, ignorant motherfuckers, something. I'd rather have a half full crowd of intelligent people than a room full of dumb, ignorant motherfuckers like you. So then uh, I said to Daryl, how much am I supposed to pay you? And he told me. I said, here's an extra hundred. That's how good the whiskey is. I'm giving somebody a hundred dollar tip because I got booed. <laughs> now, well, you know, you got booed. I can't give you a full amount. I got a deduct. <laughs> you know, but, and went across the street, drank some more. Then there's a homeless guy and I didn't have change. I had American money and I had like just 20s. So I gave him a $20 bill. And uh, he said, thank you, man. You just saved my life. Yeah, motherfucker. I'm going to save your life two times. Pop, give him another 20. Don't give me alcohol and money. God damn it. <laughs> and, uh, so the next New Year's show, I had like a third of the audience that I had been getting. And the numbers oh. were like down for about two months. I heard some feelings. <laughs> <laughs> when was, was that? The uh, 2000s? Was, uh, like, uh, no, probably uh, 98, 99. Okay. Yeah. Jesus. Because I went, I went the very first time, like I said, was uh, I think the second last one recently, like two months ago, mm -hmm. month and a half ago. And I've heard the stories about the show. Uh, not just the comics on the show, but the audience, the energy of yeah. it and everything. They don't boo like they used to. Yeah, but I, I wasn't sure because I know you came up and in the intro you said, if you don't like them, let them know, you know. And, uh, and so I was kind of waiting for it and it never really came. No, the guys used well. But, but on the re reverse of that. The energy of the room when they like someone, whoa! Like boop, I, I, boop, boop. I really thought the, the the walls are coming down because man, I haven't seen energy like that in a comedy club ever. In, no, you're right, ever, ever. Yeah. Like even like back to when I first started and and they were still selling out shows every weekend and stuff. There was never a response like that. Never. It's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, they either love you. If they love you, they'll lift the roof off, and if they don't, they'll try to put you under the floors. Yeah. <laughs> so the, this started '95, 21 years now. '94, '95, yeah. '95. How did it come about? I don't want to talk about that. No. Okay. I talked. I told that story. To, that's like Waylon Jennings. So who'd you give your your seat to on that plane? Ah, uh, fuck. Ah, yeah. it's one of that sort of thing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So. No. 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 That's fine. But again, like so many guys. Like you said, like you're constantly getting bothered to get on the show. Yeah. And you basically take it by like recommendation. Oh, but I've had one or two recommendations where they were bad. So now you need five people to vouch. Okay. And in order to be able to vouch, you've had to have done this show at least five times. Yes. So, you know, I'm making it harder for somebody I haven't seen to get on with a vouch. Yeah. And even if you've been vouched for it, that just gets you on the waiting list. Okay. 
Okay. It's very much to what Kenny wants, but I just tell mother, I made the vouch shit up just to get rid of motherfuckers. <laughs> hey, I never let Jeremy Hotz on. He wanted to get on. I never let him on. Jerry D took three years before I let him on. Yeah. My attitude with Jeremy was, uh, you can get on any stage in North America, man, but these guys only get, the, you know, a lot of these people only get this stage one Sunday a month. So if I give you a spot, that's one less spot I got to give somebody that needs it. Yeah. And he goes, you're a bastard, man. I said, well, I might be. No, it's a, it makes total sense. It makes yeah. total sense. Because I, I, th- I, just... I had an agenda. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, your agenda is to bring good comics. And to open the doors for a minority group that may have been ignored or overlooked or not considered before. Yeah. You know, the the Nubian thing, I used to call it a movement, and some of the white comics would roll their eyes, but it was as much political as anything else, man. Yeah. Yeah. You know, especially because the newer black comics, they were all being uh, kept down. Yeah. You know, they're, you know, like I, I walk into the club after taking my acting classes on Monday, I go into the to the club on Monday night when they had their amateur night and the guy running the thing said, oh, you gotta see so-and-so. He sets your race back 20 years. And I said, shit, that's what somebody said about me. Let me see how bad this dude is. So I said, well, you know, set us back 20 years? Yeah. How? How bad is... And I go, he don't set us back 20 years. The motherfucker just don't know how to tag a joke. <laughs> Doesn't know how to set it up. Yeah. So how come this little motherfucker don't know how to set it up and tag... He sends my whole people back, my, my dad's side of the family back 20 years? Or wait till you see this guy. He's all grinning, rolling his eyes. He's like something off the Apollo. Excuse me, motherfucker. Some of the greatest talents that the world has ever seen have come off the Apollo. Mm-hmm. Don't say it looks like something off the Apollo. Motherfucker sounds like something off the Grand Ole Opry. Yeah, <laughs> yeah banjo playing motherfucker. <laughs> you know? And yeah. I seen that, and I, I went... Okay, well, maybe the boy grins more than I do because, you know, I associated grinning with being, smiling on stage with being a, a docile, uh, amicable uh, Negro. Yeah. That's my own hang-up. Yeah. Whereas Jim Faye, you say, you got to smile more on stage. You don't look like you're having fun. I don't want to be no smiling comic, man. I don't want to be no grinning. <laughs> you know, I don't want to be one of those. Yeah. And he said, I just learned how to smile in the last five years, maybe, eh? Really? Maybe I would have had more things if I could smile better. But... um you know, so it was, you know, it was very much of opportunities being denied or, or, um, what are the words? Man, I am Mr. Stroke guy today. Uh, obstacles. Mm-hmm. So I was all about, you know, my attitude was if, uh, if I don't open this door, who will? When I asked the question how it came about, that's actually what I was talking about. It wasn't about the process of it, but about... Oh, the process was easy and simple, yeah, it's but... Like, yeah, yeah, it's, it's simple. I want to do a show and you... Yeah. And then when I saw up and thought that the only black comics in the country, me, Greg Morton, Ronnie Edwards, and Eugene Clark, and Evan, Evan Carter, yeah. that's the entire nation, man. Mm-hmm. That's from one coast to the other motherfucking coast. And usually when you met another black comic, it was almost like everybody else kind of figured, like, for you two guys be rivals... Because I know when I first came to Toronto, really? there was only Evan Carter. Yeah. And, you know. And, and so the thought is you two should be rivals? Well, as soon as I hit town, I come oh, gunning come for him. What? I, walk, I, I walked up to him. I said, so I hear you head nigger comic in this town. <laughs> <laughs> and he goes, oh, man, I'm not about that. I just want to do my act, do my jokes. And I said, fair enough. And I watched his act, and, you know, he was very Cosby-ish. And, of course, I was a disciple yeah, of Pryor. Totally different. Yeah. But, I mean, poor Evan had to, you know, 
Evan don't know me. I hear you head, you know, and it's like, whoa, who's this aggressive motherfucker <laughs> jumping at my face now? You know, we're very good friends now, but I'm sure he had to have a fucking nightmare when I first, and of course, me saying everything I said, he was like, God, did, did anybody ever take him to church? You know? <laughs> Evan's daddy was a judge. My father stood in front of judges. So, I mean, you know, yeah. the whole difference is our background and, and, and how we're raised. And I, and I love him, you know. But, I mean, and he, you know, the, people give me credit for being the first this or that or that. But he was a pioneer. Yeah, he was. Evan's amazing. You yeah. know, but, I mean, difference was uh, Evan, uh, Evan uh, was upright. Mm-hmm. You know? Well, that's what I mean. To- totally opposite ends of the spectrum here. Whereas me, I couldn't get low down <laughs> enough. <laughs> You hit the floor, you start digging through oh, the floor. Oh, man. You know, never see Evan Carter drunk on stage. <laughs> Kenny Robinson had a whole bottle of Jack sent up to him, and he didn't need it. <laughs> oh. I haven't done that too often. I should never have done it, but I've done it once or twice more than I should have. Yeah? Yeah. Drinking on stage or drinking before. Yeah. No Younger. good. It's not good. Do you do, do you do that anymore, or do you? Yeah. Oh, no, I'm a, well, if I'm if I don't have to drive somewhere, I will, but not to the point where I'm drunk or anything. Yeah. Usually, if I'm usually I drink some brandy before a show because I'm sick. Hmm. Hmm. You know, or if I'm at a gig where you know, it's they told me the show started at eight thirty, and there it is eleven thirty, and I still ain't on yet. Well, fuck at this point, I'm having a beer, boys. I've yeah. been here for three hours, <laughs> and what you get is what you get. What's your drink of choice? What's your favorite thing to have? Diet Pepsi is my drink. Oh, my yeah. alcoholic choice? Yeah. Oh, man. I'm with you. I'm a pop drinker, too. Though. I like Jameson's now. Yeah. My boy Trevor Gumby in South Africa got me onto Jameson's. Yeah. But uh, for years, Jack Daniels was my poison. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Vodka and 7-Up. But now I can't drink uh, too much brown liquor. Jack or Jim Beam, um, if I just drink two or three shots, I'm usually puking it up by the end of the night. Really? Oh, wow. The body just said uh, 35 years of, uh, of Jim Beam and Jack Daniels is uh, no longer our friend. Yeah. So Yeah, it know, comes a point, I guess. And right? Yeah, and I even had points where I would drink a couple of beers and felt didn't feel drunk, just felt bloated. Yep. So, you know, and I've got bottles of expensive scotch I may never open up. Yeah. You know, I'm found dead in my fucking apartment someday. And, you know, my kids will be, you know, they'll be trying to make sure their mother didn't get the bottle because they're going to try and sneak it off to somebody. Yeah. <laughs> and expensive. They were all expensive gifts. Really? And because I don't really have any friends that come over to drink, they've never, there's some of them still in the box with a flap, not even pulled open to look at the bottle inside. Shit. Not even opened up to sniff it. Wow. You know, but I don't need some motherfucker coming over and drinking up all my liquor like no. he's doing me a favor. <laughs> and, you know, it's not a whole bunch of women coming over or anything. So uh, it's uh, they're nice gifts. Yeah. I like to uh, I like to keep them in a in, in an area where I can look at them and say, you know, look at all my liquor. <laughs> Line it up. And if I was an alcoholic, I wouldn't have that collection. Yeah. He'd be all empty bottles. And said, look at all that whiskey. Look at that. Look, I got five kinds of rum. Yeah. <laughs> Seven scotches. One tequila, <laughs> one Jack, Get half a bottle of gin. Yeah. <laughs> My brother died from drinking himself to death, so I still got oh, like man. a last little bit of his plastic gallon jug of Wolfgang vodka from the States. It's one of, the, it's one of those vodkas you get like for nine ninety nine. you get a gallon. Yeah. So, you know, he drank that and a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, Listerine mouthwash when he could, didn't have money for alcohol. Really? So I still got the last little bit of his last jug. And sometimes I have a drink of that just to say, you fucking asshole. You know, nah, drink your liquor, you know, but, um, 
you know, eventually I guess I'll, I'll finish it. And I don't know if I'll pull the plastic plug out of it and refill it. It's a plastic jug. Yeah. They're so good. They make the jug so the alcoholics or drunks can drop it and still got their booze, eh? Those lawn breakable plastic bottles, like a Coke bottle. Yeah. Let's so keep I, feeding the fire. Yeah. I may just pour some better vodka in there and just keep it because it was his last bottle. Yeah. How, a, how old was he when he passed? I think maybe 42. Wow. Yeah. Bob was brilliant, but he pickled his brain. What, what, what did you do? Nothing really. Nothing. No, no. No, his uh, the height of his uh, the height of his life was he was uh, he was U.S. Navy intelligence. He spoke five different dialects of Arabic, wow. but he I used to refer to him as uh, as Reagan's Iron Youth. Mm-hmm. He was all very much you know when Ronald Reagan was president. He was very much you know vote Republican. I go nigga, we we ain't rich enough to be Republicans. What's wrong with you? And he joined the U.S. Navy because he wanted to eventually become CIA and. Yeah. Uh, he was on duty in a submarine when they were firing on some uh, Iranian oil platform or something. And they asked, uh, he was a translator, and they asked that they could uh, have a ceasefire to evacuate wounded. And so he had to say to his commanding officer, hava, 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 hava. and it was negative. And he had to go, hava, hava. you know, so he had to, so <laughs> with him and his crew, when he, you're, you're assigned four or five guys that you're supposed to hang with. Mm-hmm. And you're not, when you go into a foreign port, you're not supposed to separate. So this motherfucker got drunk, ran off from his crew in Rome. And uh, wound up back uh, in California and then uh, wound up in New Jersey where I think he tried to kill himself. So he wound up at Camp Lejeune in POW and they sent him back to Gibraltar, Spain, where he was originally based out of. So uh, they gave him a choice. He could have a, uh, he could have a drop in rank and lose his security clearance so he would no longer be Navy intelligence. He'd just be a regular Navy guy. Yeah. Or he could have the honorable discharge. They're going to be kind. Honorable meant he still got all of his benefits and all that. So he took the honorable. And then about, so, you know, then from that day on, he never did nothing else really except drink. And uh, his wife died from alcohol. And uh, he was about a year or a year and a half afterwards. She left him a lot of money that he went through within a year. But um, she was the first female stockbroker in uh, Illinois. <laughs> Long money. Wow. But um, when 9-11 happened, he's exactly what they needed. But he didn't have the confidence to put in applications. He figured his, uh, his record would be held against him. And by that point, he was a beaten man and the alcohol had taken its toll. But he spoke five different dialects of Arabic. He so he could. They may have sent him to the fucking uh, Navy SEAL school, so he had to go on the ground and 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 translate. He may have been with Navy intelligence. He may have just been monitoring, you know, telephone calls for the last twenty years. Yeah. But I mean, you know, if he hadn't fucked up and lost his security clearance. Uh, in fact, it was so funny they they denied him security clearance at first because because um, my mother is a Canadian born Canadian citizen yeah so when you're because your mother's Canadian they weren't even going to give him security clearance just because the mom's Canadian yeah so my okay. mom used to manage this private club in Chicago called the casino Nancy Reagan had her debutante ball there they were longtime members and they had a couple of private parties for the White House there and what have you so my mom contacted uh, the wash the, the White House uh, chief of protocol for uh for Regan, and uh, they got on the security clearance. 
and his commanding officer came in and goes, I don't know who you know, but you got some help. So my mother was able to reach out through knowing somebody that she maybe arranged a private party for, you know, that was connected to the Regans in the White House. Hey, my mom's got a Christmas card from Obama and, her, and, and the kids, you know, they print them out and they sign them, a thousand of them. Yeah. But she's got that glued to her, uh, glued to her fucking, um, wow. to her wall in her room in her hospital. You know, when it first went up, all the, all the, all the black nurses, and after all, even all the, all the nurses just came to look and go, "Wow, Christmas card from Obama." <laughs> you know, so yeah, who is this woman? Yeah, yeah, She's yeah. The, this the lady that yells at everybody, but she tips the girls at the Tim Hortons downstairs. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so has yeah. she? You know, she's seen your stand up. I'm sure. Oh yeah, many many times. Not in 25 years, but yeah. Yeah, but uh, what was that like for her watching you? Did she ever say anything well, about that to you? Oh, I I was counting on her being outrageous and saying something funny when she was on my B side on comics. Yeah. And instead, you know, we got her a couple hundred dollars for that. And Joe Bodley interviewed her, and my mom I goes, saw that. Yeah, my mom goes, well, once upon a time, myself and my family, we could go and enjoy his show but it it's changed and gotten a little bit harsh since then i said who's this fucking woman they put me in there who's, who's this imposter yeah who's the woman that when my brother asked her when she's explained the facts of life to him when you put your ball when you ball a woman do you put your balls in her and i laughed when the idiot asked this question and my mom said, if you can, she's got a snatch like a bucket and you should avoid her at all costs. Where's that woman? Yeah. <laughs> Where's this wise crack and foul mouth that raised me? Instead, we got this fucking, we're very disappointed with, Put her the, path, on her. <laughs> with, the, with the path of material that he's chosen. We, we rather enjoyed his Jonathan Winter impressions when he was a child. I'm going, who is this fraud? I get you paid and now you'll make me look like I'm adopted? <laughs> yeah, but she's... Proudy and like sure. that's obviously like yeah. Oh yeah. Then when that's... I showed her my uh, when I showed her my Phil Hartman award, she says looks like a birdhouse because every year they do it oh, differently, man. eh? Yeah. So my award was uh, hand carved wood with a magic eight ball in it and some of Phil's ashes in it. Wow, they put that. I didn't know that yeah. Phil's ashes are in that. Yeah, Shit. some of them. I guess they they have some of his ashes in all the Phil Hartman awards. That's what his brother who makes it and decides who gets it told me. Wow. Phil Hartman award. That was. Uh... What year was that? Two years ago. Two years ago. Yeah. It was really funny because I had I been boycotting the, the Canadian Comedy Awards. Yeah. I just not going, not voting. I used to sit on panels and what have you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I just went from no involvement, just a lot of involvement, Yeah. to I'm done. I want nothing more to do with this. Because uh -huh. I always felt, um, I felt I wasn't appreciated and I felt a lot of my Nubian crew weren't appreciated by it. Mm -hmm. So I just said, you know what? This ain't, you know, this. So I wasn't even going to go. Wasn't even gonna go, and my manager, she uh, she knew what I was happening. Oh, you didn't? Okay. I so didn't know. Knew, yeah. And she says they want to give you an award. I can't tell you anything more than that. I go, I'm gonna do a brand though. I'm not gonna go. She goes, you better not. So when I got there, I didn't really even have a speech made because I know what the award was for. But I was, in fact, before the award show, Phil Hartman, his brother, Paul, I believe his name is had me hold the fucking award, and I don't even look to see that my name's on it as we took pictures before. So I don't, I'm just going, oh, yeah, sure, I'll hold it. Yeah, okay. And I don't even know it's mine. <laughs> I'm sitting with Frosty and Breslin in the back, and they go, Kenny Robinson. I go, what? So I got to run all the way from the back to the front. And, you know, the new comics and the, the improv comics, the, the sketch groups, they're all yapping and yapping and didn't really appreciate or said, you know, listen to anything I said. But I, my first thing was, uh, what is this? Uh, last year, Mike McDonald, the year before that, Joanna Downey, 
Is this the uh, Ain't Got Much Longer to Live uh, award that I've given to somebody? <laughs> Has somebody seen the x-rays of my, uh, the, the x-rays of my, uh, my the, the results of my x-ray before me? Which I thought was very funny. And yeah, then he responded, yeah, eh? Yeah. <laughs> I said, what is this, the Dead Man Walking Award? <laughs> We're running out of ashes. <laughs> you know, but I'm very proud of it. It's, a, it's well-deserved, man. I almost didn't go. Well-deserved, yeah. I, I almost didn't accept it. But I mean, that's probably it's yeah because you just didn't. Uh, I didn't know it was that. Occur to you, yeah. And it was like, oh what, nigga, you gonna boycott them until they give you something? What kind of motherfucker is that? <laughs> well, your manager said you had to go. Okay, <laughs> my managers made me go. <laughs> you got the host of the Gemini's. Yeah. How'd you like that? That was great. Yeah. Yeah. Ronnie I think Edwards that was the myself. only year I watched the Gemini's, to I be honest. Even, I never watched it one year since, and the yeah. next year we weren't even invited to, to attend. So I said, oh, that's how this shit works. Yeah. <laughs> it was funny, though. Uh, my manager tried to get me a raise in the comedy clubs, and they said, no. He's trying to even try and get me a $50 show raise. He says, no, we're very proud of him. But uh, should ask the, the, ask the Gemini people to give him a raise. We're not. So I said, what? You know, so you go, okay, so, and then still, what, you know, um, never can get booked into uh, the, the main comedy club in Winnipeg, you know, even when, because um, he see me die in front of a, a real soft club at the Laugh Resort one year when I was on the outs with the Yucks. Yeah. So I could never get booked into my hometown of Winnipeg, into that club. I've done showcases there or, or what have you, but for whatever reason, can't get booked in. Yeah. The guy that wouldn't book me before died, and now the new guy runs it, and now he's booking younger comics, but I never could get booked in. Even after I hosted the fucking Gemini's, I still See, couldn't. blows my mind. Like, you know, the credits that you've got. The level of disrespect I get is incredible. It is incredible. It's amazing I haven't just gotten a gat and took out all, my, all those who have offended me. It really is. It's, that is because the black man is a kind and loving and gentle man. <laughs> Not the one that people fear. If ever that fucking Norwegian Danish blood gets riled up, though, there'll be some terrible. I'll be, they'll be, when they come get me, he was last seen drinking from one of those agent skulls. <laughs> Something about a gala. He was drinking brown liquor out of a skull, yelling, fuck you, I don't need a gala. <laughs> When they wow. found him dead, was all he had in his arms was pictures of his children in one arm and clutched a scrapbook of his best reviews. <laughs> and something <laughs> called the Phil Hartman Award. Oh, yeah, that's in a knapsack with my extra ammo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> was he part of Black Lives Matter? No, he was part of Black Laughs Matter. Oh, man, what a great hashtag. That's a great hashtag. If I knew anything about Twitter, I'd be on there all the time. But I get enough trouble with Facebook. You don't don't do the Twitter? No, good thing. I can't even pronounce it correctly. Good thing, man. I probably (laughs) lost my marriage over Twitter. Twitter. Probably (laughs) lost a girlfriend over, over Facebook and shit. No, you know what the nice thing is? You can link them. So if you just post on Twitter, it automatically goes on. I only know how to post on Facebook. (laughs) Oh, that's not true. (laughs) Yeah. Thank God. Oh, I got to get you on Twitter, man. Oh, no, I got to get off Facebook. In fact, I'm thrilled because this is all the longs I've been off Facebook in a year, maybe. <laughs> that's that's this, what this is. This is this, everyone says, get them off Facebook this, for a couple And now hours. no telling where this is going to go and make my life even go more. on Facebook. <laughs> it's going to make my life even more fucking troublesome than it's been. Oh, my God. No way, man. No way. Um, you were talking about how you did acting classes. You used to do the Monday night acting classes. You're going for auditions and stuff. So the acting thing. Originally was- started studying a scene study at Goodman School in Chicago. Yeah. That's where Carl Molden went to and yeah. Michael Marsden. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. 
Because that's what you, like you said, that was initially your That your, was my goal. Passion. Yeah. And that's carried through, though. Like, you're still... I'm, I'm considered a comic first and an actor second. Yeah, yeah, but... Or even maybe fifth. But I mean... <laughs> <laughs> or I noticed, like, a lot of the auditions I go for, they... Uh, it's so weird here in Canada. With a lot of auditions, they like the character with less energy. Just say it plain, a little bit less. Yeah. You know? So what? You're going to go to Beacon and, and, and you were finally going to write that book? Yeah. No, no, less. So you're going to go to Beacon and finally write that book. Yes, that's good. Thank you. <laughs> little less, you just fall asleep. <laughs> and they, they said, well, and then they said, well, less is, I was, I was told, less is better. That way um, they can always tell you the, it's better than them having it than tell you to turn it up. And I said, yeah, or if, I said, or if I'm already up and they want me to turn it up more. But then there was a period of time when I went for a couple auditions and I was just, they said, no energy, no output. I said, that's because I thought I was getting ready for the way the Canadian thing is being shot now, you yeah. know? Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I think the last couple of things uh, I've been in, I didn't even audition for. They just said, we want them. So. Fuck, that's great. Well, yeah, if only I had more of them, <laughs> you know? <laughs> He ain't worth a fuck if he's got audition for it, but if you want him, he's available. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That like when you think about like the next stage of your your career, where you're going, like if if you could break into the acting thing more, would you would you leave the comedy behind? Would you be that kind of guy? You no, know what I mean, comedy's always some quick money to grab. Yeah, I need money, man. Yeah, but I'm, I mean, like if you landed like like let's say a television series, and you're like a, one of the regulars, you're one of the leads. Well, then the my money at the, the my money at the comedy club or the theater that I've been waiting to get to all these years goes up, then doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. So I'd be an idiot. But then I'd probably say something that would ruin my TV show. Can you believe we're taking this show off the air? We're, the network is demanding an apology. Everybody wants an apology now. <laughs> this is this is Kenny Robinson. Oh yeah, he needs to apologize. Apologize for what? What yeah, did right. well, 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 we got notorious people here. Yeah, that's right. I, did I offend the, the formerly notorious? <laughs> I loved your show after hours, man. It was so innovative. It was diff It was just different than anything that was on the Comedy Network at the time. Yeah, it was great. so different they didn't give us a second year. That's right. I took that as a personal failure, and I also had to look as well. This is your you got yeah. one last chance to make it real, you know. And for all practical purposes, uh, haven't had an opportunity like that since. Now that that went down in two thousand one. Yeah. Leslie Jones' birthday is uh, September tenth. She shot After Hours September ninth and September eleventh. The walls all came down. Oh, shit. Day after, two days after the last shooting of uh, After Hours and day after Leslie Jones' birthday. Wow. She just got back to New York in time from Toronto to have all this terribleness happen. Fuck. Uh -huh. That's, uh... uh <laughs> ooh, I'm not touching that. <laughs> oh, man. Well, that was the thing. I was working on Flow Radio at the time, and, you know, I was, I was doing commentary about the first plane hitting, but the saddest thing was Leatrice Spivak had just written a great article about me and After Hours for The Globe. So there's a big picture of me on the front page of The Globe Entertainment section. To me, it said, you finally reached. This is the establishment. You're on the front page, full front page of it, of the entertainment section. Yeah. And then by 9.30, didn't fucking matter because 3,000 people were dead and the world has changed as we knew it. Jeez. Damn you, Ben Laden. <laughs> Damn you. <laughs> That's why I don't want to hear no shit about false flag or, you know, the building that fell down that wasn't hit. Look, 
All I know is my fucking my my newspaper article meant nothing that day. I don't want to hear no. <laughs> it's about me, you bastards. What about me? But the first man who ever gave me a paid gig in uh, Toronto died in that day. Died in a plane crash. Uh, used to play for the for the uh, Bruins, Ace Bailey. He became an agent for a while after he got out of hockey. And there, there's a newspaper ad in the in the Sun uh, newspaper back in the, when they had entertainment. Um, he was booking gigs in Pickering, so I went out to Pickering where I met the magician. Um, Sunny Day, no, Sunny Day, somebody else. No, Lucky Day. Lucky Day was a magician. Okay. And uh, there's a story that once he did a show at uh, Harborfront, and he had a nervous breakdown, and Mark Breslin was the MC, and he goes, uh, uh, Lucky Day's not had a very lucky day today, so he'll be, <laughs> we're going to have somebody else replace him. <laughs> so there's Lucky Day, and then there is uh, a, a drag queen that lip-sync that lip uh, Cher and Donna Summers, uh, uh, who was, went by the name of Mr. Daniel somebody. Yeah. <laughs> you know, whatever the name was, but dressed in, dra you know, in drag, but wanted to be known as Mr. So-and-so in this one. Mm -hmm. And then there was me, emceeing and doing comedy. And I was paid $125. I'd never got paid $125 for a gig before that night. I remember taking a gold train out to Pickering, Not never, have, never had been to Pickering before. Mm -hmm. Worried about not making it back to Toronto because I had a day job to be at the next day. Yeah. I just made, if I don't catch that gold train, how am I going to get home from Pickering? I might miss work. So, um, but then he became a scout. He was a scout for the LA Kings because him and Gretzky were good pals. So the flight, the one that was from Boston to LA, he was on it. Ah. So, but he was the first man that uh, ever paid, ever booked me a paid gig when I moved from Winnipeg to Toronto. And I'd never seen that kind of money. Yeah, I was like, you know, at my day job next day, hundred twenty five dollar bitches Fuck ain't you. gonna be ain't gonna be fucking doing the mailroom much longer. <laughs> I remember the first time I got paid for doing comedy. It's it was eighty bucks in my case, but I just okay. I couldn't believe it. I still oh my first thing. time my first Come time on. paid gig, but I think it was either thirty five by this mob joint out in Chicago. Or I once got seventy five dollars. I got a couple of seventy five dollar gigs. I found her. What I did was I. Uh, I man, I I'm so fucking lazy now. I grabbed the yellow pages uh -huh. and I looked underneath uh, theatrical booking agents. Yeah, and I called each one, wanting to know if they needed any comedians. So I get this broad. She's got a voice like. Remember uh, the Sugar Bear commercials? There was Granny Goodwitch. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Hello, Sugar Bear. Had yeah. just the sweetest sounding voice. Yeah. Yes. Well, we need an MC. The other one I used to got he. Well, he, he's kind of priced himself out of the range. We can give you $75 for this show. I'm going, $75? Because before, I just quit a $4 an hour job. So I used to get $32 a day for eight hours. So $75 for yeah, telling yeah. jokes. Yeah, I'm Richard Pryor now. <laughs> so it was at a Moose Lodge in downstate Illinois. So I drove out to see her. And I, so I get to her house because we're all going to ride. Mm -hmm. And... She is the harshest, hardest-looking madam I've ever fucking seen. Wow. Hair's up in a bun, old fucking 50s gang mom, broad style, heavy makeup. So as we're leaving, she puts a gun in her purse. She goes, we're showgirls. You never know what can happen on the road. I'm going, God damn. <laughs> so then she has a stripper named Irish who has a scar across her throat from where a boyfriend cut her neck and tried to kill her. 
So they're talking about, you know, and they got Polaroids to show the guys in case anybody wants to get with Irish and what have you, you know. So anyway, so we get to this dressing room. And uh, I said to her, here, I'll just, I said to Irish, I'll just step out, you know, so you got privacy when you, while you change. Yeah. I'm 19 years old, right? Yeah. She goes, shit, everybody, gonna, everybody else going to see my pussy in three minutes. You, you may as well see it now, baby. And I'm like, you know, Mr. Renishin, Mr. Thought He Was Worldly ain't, ain't so fucking worldly anymore now because we were showgirls. So, um, you know, I go out and I tell racist jokes and I tell stolen jokes and hack jokes and a little bit of my own original stuff, kind of like a band. And uh, there are two sets. Okay. So after the first set, the first set, she sticks the microphone in her pussy. <laughs> so I come back out there. How many of you, at the time, there was uh, Mr. Microphone. You could buy it on TV. Yeah. Hey there, plug it into your car radio. Hey there, girls. Where are you going? <laughs> Mr. Microphone, take it anywhere. <laughs> Just stick it into, you know. Yeah, so I was there. How many of you guys wish your name was, wish you were Mr. Microphone now? Yeah. So I remember the whole time. <laughs> The whole time on the way back to town, I was worried that they were going to roll me for my $75. Yeah. <laughs> so I think I did one more show with her, eh? But she told me how the guy that they regularly had MC had a tuxedo with the ass of his pants cut out. So obviously, I've been replacing a real <laughs> fucking top-notch guy, eh? That's right. <laughs> but, you know, I, I, I told racist jokes. It's all white people. I told racist jokes I read in Hustler magazine. Yeah. You know? White man brain sells for a hundred pounds. Uh, the black man's brain sell for uh, for a uh, hundred dollars per pound. Black man's brain sell for ten thousand dollars a pound. Do you know why? Any idea how many niggers you got to kill to get ten to get a pound of brains? But see, at the time, another one of my heroes in Chicago was Orlando Rays. He's since left us. He was a he was a black comic and very dirty. In fact, Jim Fay, you say don't be you know don't be watching Orlando so much. Go watch Doc which was the nickname for Arsenio Hall. But Arsenio was clean and slick and smooth, and guess who went further? But Arsenio also was a terrible thief. Oh, yeah? But he said, go watch Doc. Be like Doc. But I don't want to be like Doc. I want to be like, oh. Oh, change, smoked cigarettes on stage and pulled it out of a tortoise shell cigarette case and lit it, and everybody saw the cigarette case and went, ooh. He go, thank you. White bitch gave it to me. You know, and he had his hair all slicked back like Barry White, and yeah. he had a gig called the Stay Out All Night Long Disco that started at 2 in the morning. Jesus. And he drove like this lime green Delta 88 that some Southside mobster gave him in exchange for moving some product for him. Hey, Orlando, take this out to the Southside. See if the niggas want it. You know, so, so, so Orlando's wow. like, like, damn, kid, come on, man. Come on, let's make some money, kid. So, you know, so Orlando was like, he took, and he was the filthiest. But his, his closing bit was uh, I know all you white folks want to stop and tell me some fucked up nigga joke. Well, I got news for you. I'll buy anybody a drink that can tell me a nigga joke I ain't heard. And he says, here, don't be shy. Let's get it started. And I said, how come niggas eat, uh, uh, wear white gloves when they eat Tootsie Rolls? So they don't eat their fingers by mistake. <laughs> and they go, how do you stop five niggas from raping a white woman? Throw them a basketball. <laughs> Goes, come on, white folks. I know you got them. You tell them. You tell me them fucked up jokes all the time. Wow. So everybody go. Uh, how many niggers does it take to sh to roof uh, to, to shingle a roof? Or land before the guy could do the punchline. Depends how thin you sh depends how thin you slice them. Laugh. And he knew every fucking punchline. Wow. And that was his closing bit. And he'd laugh. If you ever heard when he didn't laugh? You know, if he heard when he hadn't heard before, he'd laugh. He goes, send him a drink. You know. But you know Jeez. that was. 
Yeah, so, you know, Orlando kind of took me under his roof. Yeah? Yeah. You know, took me under his arm. So my, my influences, you know, the, the guys that mentored me were Orlando and Jim Fay, and uh, the fat guy from the movie Car Wash who traded his uh, Jimmy Car Wash Spinks. He traded his uh, radio for some pussy at the end, yeah. uh, in the end of the movie. Working at the car wash. <laughs> Jimmy Spinks used to go, the white boy's getting $50 a show, you getting $30 a show. You need to go say to the man, how come you ain't getting what the white boys get? I say, well, maybe I'm not as good as some of them. That's bullshit. As long as you take 30, why would the man give you 50? You got to tell the man you need $50 to work his room. Well, I'm lucky to get it. No, he's lucky to have you. <laughs> so, so how did you get to that point where you're like, yeah, you're... I still ain't at that point. I still under fucking sell myself sometimes. Would you like to come to Sudbury for one night? Oh, well, you have five hundred dollars. Yes. Oh fuck. Then later on, Frosty, man, that's a thousand dollar ride. You're five hours there, five hours back, just traveling. You lose a whole day just in travel. Fuck. I should have said a grand. Why am I an asshole? <laughs> why? Well, why is that then? Why is uh, low self esteem? Oh, well, there you go. Yeah, that's what it's all about. That's comics. That's, that's entertainment. That's me. It's all built on it. Yeah. Well, you look at the, the length of your career, the, the stuff that you've done, the stuff you've accomplished. Like, there's a lot, man. You've done a lot of stuff. You, you've built... Played on three continents. You, you've been everywhere, okay? You've been on television how many times? You've done movies. You've, done, uh, you've, you've earned the respect of everybody in the... In the Except the motherfuckers that pass out the checks. That's right, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and still, do you feel like that's not enough for you, or, or what, what is it? I'm, I'm, I'm asking not to be nosy, but I have the same problem. So, and I analyze so much. Well, what is it going to take? What is it going to take to tell you that you might be... Okay. Okay. Maybe never. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe never. Do you think that's a good thing for mm -hmm. us? No? Hell no. No? Gives you too many thoughts of suicide. Yeah. Has that been a problem for you in the past? Or? Not in the past 48 hours, no. <laughs> Good. But I mean, no, Good. there's been some terrible, there's been some terrible times. Yeah. But, you know, my ma still needs me and my kids depend on me. And uh, if you kill yourself, you don't ever get, you, don't, you might not get to beat these bastards. Yeah. You might not get to win if you call yourself out of the game. Plus, you know, had too many friends die, you know, not on their own will. So, you know. Yeah. It's uh, why help out anybody, but yeah. yeah, sometimes it just seems so useless to remain. Yeah. Wow. More often than not, it's a uh, business orientated because that's been my life. Mm -hmm. You know. Um, the women that have met the most to me, they said they've fought, they've finished third or fourth in importance to me. They go, it's always your mother, your career, your kids, then me. And I go, well. Uh, my mother was a pre-existing condition. Uh, without my career, I ain't nothing. And uh, without my kids, I really had no reason to want to be anything. And you, uh, I love you with everything that I got left. And you know, some moral, well, as it proves, it's, it's never enough. Hmm. You know, so um, I get my loving on the run. Not lately, you know, I've, I've been in a relationship for a couple of years now, long distance one, which has survived every fucking expectation I would have had of it lasting. Where but is she? She's in Calgary. Okay. But, uh, you know, I know that, um, you know, everything, everything, uh, everything ends eventually. Everything dies eventually. Yeah. You know, so. 
All I can do is uh, put them Chris Christopherson records on and uh, put on a good suit and go walking Spanish down the hall. You just keep on keeping them. It's like I read this article with Willie Nelson. He says, yeah, he misses Johnny Cash and he misses Waylon Jennings. And he says, but you bury him and you're sad. And he said, but then uh, you get on the bus and you go do another show because that's what you do. Yeah. It's when you don't have shows to get on. It's when you don't have, it's when you don't have shows that give you a reason to get on the bus. And then, then that's that's the trouble thing. And I'm sorry, doing open mics don't count as shows. No, 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 not for someone like you. Come on, no, I know, no, not even not even when you get wings. No, you gotta be riffing. You gotta be getting paid. You gotta be uh, banging it, not waiting for nine thousand other comics to do the same theme. Yeah, you know. So what uh, what have you got coming? Let's see. Uh, Got my daughter's wedding October 28th. That's the biggest thing on my schedule. Yeah. Um, Frosty and I are doing her, uh, are doing her stag and doe in uh, London on uh, 31st. Nice. Of this month. 30th? 31st? End of the month. Uh, I think the Friday, uh, the last Friday of the month in the Nubian show on the Sunday. Uh, Frosty and I were going out to um, Abbotsford and uh, Victoria yeah. in uh, October. I think I've got uh, Hamilton in October. First time playing the new Hamilton Club. Oh, yeah? Haven't played it. I only did Donnie Stag, and then I did their uh, one night of an urban show they had there. Yeah. Which was really great because there's like four black people and 25 white people. So it was like, it was like, I said, this, this, this is, this is not, this is not the, this is, this is not a Nubian show. This is more like the Cotton Club. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a few scattered blacks are going here somehow, and the talent, we came in through the back door. Yeah. I'm sure that was well appreciated. <laughs> Why wouldn't it be? <laughs> yeah. uh, you mentioned earlier from uh, Ryan from the uh, 12, 12 hour thing, the TV thing. Yeah, Are yeah. It's a project that? we're working yeah? on. Okay, we'll, good. You know, good. Uh, we're making pitches. Won't discuss anything more. No, than no, that, no, but, no. I totally. I just yeah. want to make sure that's still going because yeah, we're still. That's the thing. Like, you work so well on television, both as a performer and a writer. That to me, it's like you should just be busy with that stuff alone. Guess who never gets hired to be to write for anybody other than themselves? Me. But you know, um, one, it's gonna change, man. Uh, might be because uh, my point of view or my thing might be too uh, might not be be considered uh, work workable. You know, maybe on the back of the comedian the report card <laughs> works well with others. Definitely not check, you know. I don't think I'm, you know, like my manager told me she, when she first heard about me, she heard I was hard to work with. And I said, how can that be? I've never been hired by anybody. <laughs> but I remember, though, I remember one time a casting agent asked me if I would cut my, if I would consider cutting my hair for a part. And I said, if it's a speaking role, yeah, but if it's just another extra, not a snowball in hell's chance. Yeah. And there was a look of horror. I guess they weren't. You're expecting. not willing to do anything. To, well, yeah. You know, no. You, I let somebody butcher my hair one time for for uh, a glorified doorman role. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, okay, sure. Uh, Peter Fonda was in it, but uh, you know, other than that, so when I meet Peter Fonda, I had a bad fucking looking haircut. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm sorry. You know, no, I'm not cutting my hair for a bad role. For a good role, you can take it all off. Yeah. Or put a wig on me. You've had a shaved head like the entire time I've known you. Yeah, well, I think that happened about 98, 90, 98, 99, maybe. Okay. Just the decision just, you know. I was getting a little, oh, you said, as my uh, first wife called it, a landing patch for birds. Okay. <laughs> or I think now they call it a monk cut. Yeah. You know, I was like, a friar. 
So, yeah. I, so I, you know, the, the, the Norwegian Danish bloodlines, I mean, everybody, in our, uh, well, at least my cousin Lit and me, we got our bald spots in the same pattern there. Yeah. So I had like, you know, good hair here and the rest was good, but in that middle spot. So I wasn't going to be a comb over guy. And I just thought, okay, instead of trying to look, you know, instead of having this big bald spot in the middle looking sad, take it all off, motherfucker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It looks good, man. Be a, be, you know, be a warrior. <laughs> yeah. You know, just, you know, you, you're not a friar. Yeah. <laughs> You're not wow. a friar. Shave your head. But what? when I first did it, though, I bought an earring first because I figure you got nothing else on your face. You got to make sure you got the right jewelry. Yeah. But you know, since I'm going, okay. Yeah, you know, I, I was gonna say, I thought I remember you with it. Yeah, you have a big earring. Yeah. Yeah. Not anymore. Got rid of that. It would hurt, or you know, expensive ones fell out, or whatever. Or they yeah. Get that, you know, I had a diamond earring, so a gift from girlfriends, but they get the the back would get lost, or they get lost, or the back would hurt and burn and stink. So. Yeah. I'm just uh, I'm good with the earring not being there. Yeah. Yeah, it's it all works, man. Come on, but you got the suits. Like you're the you're the best looking guy I do to stand up, man. You you put effort into your look on stage. Well, before I ever thought of being in stand up, I read Dick Gregory's autobiography, Nigger, and he said when he was working these small clubs in Chicago, he'd spend most of his money on wardrobe, buying suits and shit. He says because some people may only go out once or twice a month, and you may be the closest thing to a star or a celebrity they know. Yeah. And if they want to figure that you are their celebrity, then you need to look like one. You can't be looking like you just got off your job at the Ford plant and you yeah. just made, came and did, you know, and you're there hosting. Yeah. So I read that, you know, and I so I read that before I ever even thought of being a comic. And then, uh, you know, and plus I always like to be sharp. But then I remember one time I was maybe uh, 20, 20, 21 years old, maybe, yeah, maybe 19 or 20 took my girlfriend to see the Pointer Sisters. And back then, they used to wear all this retro 40s stuff, right? Yeah. And they, uh, they came, it was in Winnipeg, and they go, they were wearing, like, polyester pants and ugly sweaters. Go, hi, we just got on the bus. We're on our way to Vegas, and we're just going to treat this like a little, we didn't get all of our fancy stuff out there because we're just going to treat this like a, like a little informal uh, rehearsal. Yeah. I said, no, I, I didn't pay rehearsal money. Where's the big hats? Where's those throwbacks? Where's the, where's the yes, I can, can, yes, I can, can. Where's, where's, where's the fucking Desi Gillespie fucking dresses, man? Yeah. And I never spent another dime on the Pointer Sisters after that. Not even when they were doing the Neutron Dance. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, and as I tell people, I said, you know, when I do workshops, I say, dress like you want to get laid. Fuck, good advice. Jeez. Dress like you yeah. want to get laid. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Don't dress like, you know, you're going to go eat wings with the boys. Well, I want to get laid if I go up. No, no, dress like you are going out. Yeah. Custom tailored lady killer. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah. And nicknames. Like, this is what Mark Walker and I were talking about you the other day. Like, you've had probably more nicknames than any other comic uh, in the business right now. Like... There was the Raging Bull of Comedy. Yeah, the Raging Bull of Comedy, the fabulous Kenny Robinson, well, which is what you have, right? The fabulous I gave myself. Oh, um, yeah? Yeah, because when I first became a headliner, uh, a lot of the other comics were like, oh, yeah, he's going to do, what, 40 minutes of dick jokes? He's going to do this? He's going to do that? And I was listening to the fabulous Thunderbirds a okay. lot. Yeah. And then I was thinking of the marvelous, marvelous, uh, marvelous Marvin Hagler. Yeah. So I said, well, shit. I said, well, you know, I'm rocking rooms, copping encores. I'm, shit, I'm fabulous. <laughs> Fuck these people. My friend Tommy Cox said, don't let these lames fucking badmouth you. You get more laughs than any of these lames that are talking shit about you. So I said to Flemmy, I said, I'm going to get on my picture the fabulous Kenny Robinson. He goes, a lot of boys are going to get pissed off. And I looked at him, he goes, but can them motherfuckers follow you? I went, no, that's why I'm fabulous. <laughs> so... I put the fabulous Kenny Robinson on all my 8x10s. So the minute people start seeing them, what the fuck? You know? 
That's so it was, awesome. uh, yeah, so it was a little bit of influence of Marvin, you know, Marvelous Marvin Hagler and a little bit of influence of the fabulous Thunderbirds. Fuck, man. You know, because I was all about snakeskin boots at the time and, you know, that the Texas blue shit, Stevie Ray and all that I was heavy into. So I said, yeah, well, they can be fabulous. So can I. Then Dottie Coy gave me the Raging Bull. Yeah. And uh, I guess the last 15, 20 years, it's just been Godfather, which I kind of thought was always kind of stupid. Yeah. I like fab- fabulous. That's and I love that. that's a great story. That's awesome. Oh yeah, I did it to piss off the guys that were uh, shit talking me. Yeah, and it worked. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Boy, not one to hold a grudge, huh? No. <laughs> not one to do something out of spite. They'll say about me. <laughs> a kind, sweet man who never. <laughs> well, I often feel people take advantage of my gentle and kind nature. Yeah. In general, are you talking in comedy in or just in general? Yeah. 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 Or as other people say, we find nothing gentle, kind, and sweet about your nature. But I say, no, I'm, I'm a gentle man. You are. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that's the thing. Like, you and I, uh, I said to Mark, this is going to be so cool because it's the first time I get to sit down and talk to Kenny. We've never been able to have a conversation. Right. And um, and so I was really looking forward to it. And But I, I don't know you that well. I never really knew you like, like I knew Wayne or I knew Mark or anything like that. But everyone I talked to would say that. Self-imposed exile, I guess. No. They'd say, kindest, generous, nicest guy. Yeah. You know? And, uh, and, and so anyone that, because, you know, when you see your act, you, come, you, you have that. Well, you have that aggressiveness to you, you know, to your material and things like that. And sometimes with comics, you never know. Sometimes it's like even worse off stage. They're like, fuck off, you know? And others, they're just, you know, they just. They're oh, just I used very to, kind. you know, so many women I dated told me that if they were say they didn't want to go out with me or talk to me or anything because I just intimidated them by what they saw on stage. Oh, you're, yeah, I was totally intimidated by you. I was for years totally intimidated. I even, I've even had. Um, I wish these new fucking comics be intimidated. They are. Good. Are you kidding me, JJ Lieberman? I hope he doesn't mind me saying this to you. I remember him. He, he tore messaged up in me. The show. He was great. He fucking killed it, didn't he? He was he, great. Uh, amazing. He had told me it was uh, maybe a month or two before that, and JJ, I apologize if I'm, I'm saying something I shouldn't be, but he, he, he messaged me, and he just said, I think he had done a spot on a show you were on, and he said, I don't think Kenny likes me. I said, why, why don't you think Kenny likes you? And he says, he, he doesn't really say nothing to me. I said, that's Kenny. Kenny's in, Kenny's in his own world. He's Kenny doing his own thing. He not say to many people. He, he doesn't have it. Yeah, so don't. I, I said to him, you know what? I thought the same thing about me for years. I thought he hated me, and Wayne just said, nah. He says, Kenny... Kenny doesn't say nothing to you unless he's got something to say to you. That's all. So that Nubian show that I, I went to, JJ was on, came yeah. on, killed it like you said. And I'll never forget. I was sitting at the back. He came to the back afterwards, sitting there in the booth. He had asked me to run the camera for him. Mm-hmm. And I'm, so I'm sitting there and we're talking. And you came over. You shook his hand. You said, you did a great job, kid. And I'm telling you, you someone might as well have handed him an Oscar. I could see the look <laughs> on his face. And going back to the beginning of this conversation, that's the effect that you have, man. That's the effect that you have. They, they, they do. It's not a fear they have for you. It's a love they have for you, and that's that's the constant need. That's why you can't go out and uh, to enjoy a show and not have fifty people come. Can I be on the show? Can I be on the show? Can I be on the show? Mm. They don't, it's not that. It's because your show represents something for for comics in this country 
it's gone beyond uh, uh, for, for black comics. It's for comics in general. But now I see it. I hear that a lot of people look at it as like a badge. And when I heard that, it angered me. No, not a badge. I said, because I said, well, then you jo go join the Girl Scouts. You want to collect badges. No. This Nubian show ain't no badge, That's right. That's right. And it's not. It's not a badge. It, or it's... people have never seen it ask me, can they do it? And I go, this is not an open mic. No. No, it's not. It's not. Frosty was even telling me, he says, I've never even done it. He says, I don't think it's the right show for me. Yeah. You know, and I think it's important to know that as a comic. It's not a badge, but it's, I think it's a matter of, of I think it's, it's about you. It's about uh, um, getting, getting some approval. We're all looking for the approval, right? All of us constantly. Yeah. And you're one of those guys. Maybe that's why the Godfather nickname, but whatever. Whereas Donnie Coy wanted to call himself the Godfather. Yeah, I know. He tried to get that to catch on. Yeah. <laughs> it's still Which, happening. Not quite. But uh, I don't know if I'm articulating it well enough. Except, except well for enough, uh, but. my impersonation of Donnie Coy because he, he wasn't invited to his daughter's wedding, which is very sad. So my impersonation of Donnie Coy as the Godfather. You come to me on the day of my daughter's wedding to tell me it's the day of my daughter's wedding. <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> Poor Donnie, he's a good one. Donnie's Donnie. Oh, that's <laughs> fucking amazing. <laughs> and anyway. Will, will I attempt to do the Don Corleone impersonation <laughs> on stage? Not likely. Not likely. <laughs> will I revive Brother Lou and Brotherhood Old Chefs? Not likely. <laughs> oh, man. I'm... Thanks for doing that here. That but may anyway. Be the only, that may be the only recording uh, version of it in existence. That's not even yeah. a full bit. Yeah. Yeah. But I just want to—I just want to clarify. It's not a badge or anything like that. To the guys I've talked to about it, I'm sure some of them do have that viewpoint. Yeah. It's not that at all. It means something. I think it's because you do it. It's because of you. It's not so much the show. It's—it's—it's it's, it's earning. Uh, but the show approval. is me. I mean, that's what I mean. I mean, it's lasted 21 years because I give a fuck about it. To me, it's like yeah. a Super Bowl once a month. Yes, exactly. And that's the way it is for them too. So get it. That's probably the best comparison. Getting to be on that show is like going to the Super Bowl. You know, and that's what it is. I, but I mean, like when I do the shows, when I book them, I'm going, okay, who hasn't done it in a while? Who can do it all the time? Who do I need to give a shot to? Who do I need to give an extra shot to? Because we're trying to boost them up. Yeah. Who hasn't been on here in a while? Who has I pro who have I promised eight months ago they could do the show, and I forgot that I promised it to them eight months ago. Yeah, yeah. So then sometimes boom, 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 and I go, uh oh, something's not even, something's not even on this show, and sometimes yeah. I'll book more than I need just to try and even things out. Yeah. The level of, of, of appreciation, respect everyone has for, for you as, as a comic and for what you've done for comics over well, the, the years. The Phil Hartman is kind of like a lifetime achievement thing, I guess. It is. It is, and there should be more of them. Um, and that's what I'm trying to say. So I, again, it's like, uh, you know, when I, when, when we lost Wayne a couple months ago, you know, he was the guy for me that like, like the Jim Fay was for you and things like that. And, and, and as long as I'm sure you know that I'm not telling you anything you don't know. Wayne was, Wayne was, uh, Wayne was Waylon and Willie for me. Yeah. Except for back in the day, he was kind of like the establishment guy. Was he? Well, sure. He was always, you know, corporate shows and everybody loved him and. I was this fucking foul-talking outlaw wannabe coming up. Yeah. So, you know, he was more that, well, everybody's welcome at a Johnny Cash show. Yeah, there you, you know? go. <laughs> so, in many ways, he was that way, you know, whereas I was, you know, I was more of the Waylon angle, lonesome, mornery, and mean. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know. <laughs> and he had the 23 thing. That's why I was so glad. Like, I, I was really determined to have you on this episode, this being 32, 23 in reverse. Well, I had to go to my... My computer shit is sucks in the library, and this dog was on strike, so I had to drive way the hell up to uh, 
Internet Cafe at Dixie and excuse me, Dundas, I think. And um, I went to the I went to a computer and the guy said twenty three. I went, and that's where I had to print down my resume and my uh, my lines for yesterday's audition. So who knows? Whoa. Happens to me constantly too, like every day. Actually, you know what I just realized? Mm. I didn't even realize this. Uh, about two weeks ago, uh, Mark Walker was episode two of this podcast, mm-hmm. and um, and and it was a longer interview, so I split it into th- uh, two episodes. So it was he was episode two and three, and I never it never even occurred to me or him until about two weeks ago. Mm. Two and three, yeah. That ooga booga mo. It is. That's exactly what we said. So oh. um, yeah, the thirty two. Uh, I don't know what to tell you except thanks, man. Like, thank you. I mean, what time in, is it? We went way over time, eh? Three hours. Wow, three hours. And I, I would do another hour or two. <laughs> no, I was gonna go get in the sun, try and darken my skin, but it doesn't look like that's happening. <laughs> uh, I can't thank you enough, man. Thank you. Like, really, it was a real pleasure and a real honor. Oh, thank you. I don't mean to be rude and just you're not to see that. I did not. I did not get a text from my girlfriend, which I guess that's a good thing, which means it's not over yet. You're still in there, man. We made it. We made it to the end of the interview. You're oh, still in a relationship. I might be drinking brown liquor by fucking supper time. You never know. <laughs> hey, something that lasts two years when you're, you know, I haven't seen her since December. So I haven't seen her in, what, seven, eight months? Yeah. So, hey, anything, you know, if it lasted this long without us seeing each other, it was a good run. It's doing really good, man. That's hard. Long distance is fucking hard. You've had it last for years. Just Calgary the whole time? Yeah. That's... Impressive, man. If they, if you want evidence that someone loves you, there you go. Yeah. You know? That's tough. That's a tough road. Well. Right? As Chris Christopherson, as Chris Christopherson said, it's the same old story <laughs> where the lady just don't love me anymore. So. <laughs> <laughs> she does. We all do. Thanks, man. Thank you. Okay, Kenny Robinson. Go check him out. Look him up online. You can find him on YouTube. You can find uh, the stuff that he's done previously. Check him out. Go see him perform. As I often do on the podcast, I encourage audiences to go and check out live comedy as, as frequently as possible because it's dying. It's dying in this country. There's not a lot of, of people in the clubs watching the shows, and as a, as a result, the clubs are cutting back shows. They're paying the comedians less. It really sucks because this is one of the best art forms in the world. And Canada is still, in my opinion, the best at it. So go check out some comics and specifically go check out Kenny Robinson. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Don't forget to check out the podcast on the website, www.doingitpod.com. It's also on Twitter, at doingitpod. There's a Facebook page. You can just search Doing It with Will Conlon and find the Facebook page. So in, send me in uh, information. Let me know what you think of the show. Uh, you can also find it on iTunes, of course. And if you could write a review and give the appropriate number of stars, that really helps the show out. Other than that, just share it. Tell people about it. These talented artists, all of them are talented artists that I get to have on the show. And I, I do this so I can share their stories and their experiences, not just with other artists and creative types, but with uh, the general public. Uh, you know, maybe you're someone who didn't, who, who always wanted to be a comedian or an actor or a musician or a writer or a director or a painter or something like that and, and always wondered, what's the life like? Well, here you go. Doses of reality, what it's really like. So share it as often as you can. And thanks so much for listening. 
Until next time, remember life doesn't happen to you, life happens through you. We're going to go out on a little bit more comedy from the fabulous Kenny Robinson. Thing is, though, um, I, just, I just don't get this whole pierced tongue thing, you know? Uh, I've been receiving oral pleasures since 1975, and uh, <laughs> never can it be said that I failed to have an orgasm because somebody wasn't thoughtful enough to have a piece of metal drilled through their tongue just to satisfy me. <laughs> now, maybe I'm just old-fashioned. Maybe I'm just not down with this new-age, high-tech knob-gobbling that's going on. <laughs> But I never needed a metal prong on the bottom part of my shaft going back and forth like it's a scratch and win lottery ticket <laughs> to make my marbles yell bingo, okay? <laughs> All I ever needed was a willy mouth, some snake-like tongue action, and some ears to yank at the moment of truth. Because <laughs> I don't need accessories. I need accessibility, man. I don't need bling on my ding. I'm okay with that. And the only thing that riles me more is when I see the young guys with their tongues pierced because they're so cocky about it, you know? It's like, oh, the chicks really dig it, man. Uh, the chicks really dig it. <laughs> and I say, you're just a lazy little slug that doesn't want to put the quality time in it takes to take care of his gal properly. I'm not impressed, kid. And in the world of cunning lingers, you're using Cole's notes, man. You're cheating. <laughs> And then I gave him the line that every old guy gives a young guy. Kid, when I was your age, we didn't do that. You know why? Because we took pride in a job well done. <laughs> if I had a chance to munch down on little Molly's muffin, I had my nose against her grindstone, and I didn't come up till the job was done or her parents' car was pulling into the driveway. <laughs> and if she did have anything on the tip of it that caused extra friction, it was a popcorn kernel. But being a parent has really changed, uh, changed my whole outlook on, uh, on men and women, basically. I guess uh, the given, given a man getting daughters will do that too, you know. That's why if I was king of the world, I'd pass the laws that would make the streets safer for women. I'd pass a law that no man would be allowed to be in a car unless he's accompanied by his mom, his wife, or his daughter. Okay, not all men, just men between the ages of 16 and 65. <laughs> the erection years. Because let's be honest, evil things happen when guys get into a car, right? One guy in a car, we're not that bad. We'll just see a woman at a red light. We'll stop and stare. Oh, look at that. If I could do her, I would do her till I was done. White screen, asshole. Oh, sorry. Two guys in a car, you're going to have trouble because two asses make a hole every time, right, folks? You ladies know what I'm talking about. You're walking down the street. You're minding your own business. Car pulls up. Big ignorant male head comes shooting out of the window like a jack-in-the-box from hell. Can't think of anything intelligent or charming to yell in your general direction. Elbows his buddy. Watch this. Hey, baby. <laughs> Guys, why do we do that? It's not attractive. It's not charming. You never seen Clark Gable in the old movies? Frankly, Scarlet, I don't give a. <laughs> it's stupid, it's childish, and guess what? Women don't like it. Women don't like it? No, women don't like it. <laughs> Proof that women.
women don't like it, it never works. Any of you ladies ever walked down the street and some guy drove by with, uh, and you said, hey, it's been a long time, stop the car, I'll take it right here and now. Never happens. Never will happen. And guys, we wouldn't like it if the roles were reversed. We wouldn't like it if women got all liquored up, drove around in cars yelling dirty, nasty sexual things at us. We wouldn't care to be treated that way. That would not be our cup of tea. And I know some of you guys are sitting and you're thinking, that'd be my cup of tea. But guys, you get real sick of that tea quick because the roles would be reversed. No longer would you be the mighty hunters, you'd become the hunted. And the type of women they're gonna drive around yelling dirty things at you are not gonna be the cute little 95 pound nymphs that have multiple orgasms after three strokes of your oh so magnificent tool. They are gonna be angry, hostile women who are built and look like me, okay? You're gonna be walking down the street in a big van full of these he-women gonna pull up next to you. Katie Lang music blasting from within. One of these girls with a Fred Flintstone haircut's gonna stick her head out the window. Hey, buddy, you wanna party? Oh, 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 oh. And guys, you're gonna be like, no means no!